Today's Bible reading is Isaiah 46, 1 through 13. Bell bows down, Nabo stoops, their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and even to the gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. To whom will you liken me and make me equal, and compare me that we should be alike? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god. They prostrate themselves, yes, they worship. They bear it on the shoulder, they carry it, and set it in its place and it stands. From its place it shall not move. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Saving my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. Isaiah 46. Good morning. morning. We're still in the book of Romans, chapter 1. If you can turn there. Last week, we were in verse 20. We talked about the invisible creator last week. From, for since creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been seen. He's an invisible creator. With the study of a creation, a sinner can be judged by the wrath of God. He is without excuse. Sinners fail to glorify God, even though they knew Him, they did not honor Him. Sinners fail to give thanks to God, give thanks, give honor, give glory. Those are the two things God expects from the general revelation that they see. And sinners fail to reason correctly, their futile minds, their speculations, and they fail to act correctly. Their foolish hearts were darkened. So, God gives creation of the world to everyone and wants from seeing creation honor or glory and wants thanks for the providence that God gives. But sinners don't do that. We start reasoning incorrectly. We start being futile in our speculations. We start to act incorrectly. Our foolish hearts are darkened and we make wrong decisions. And we go on and on and on. Now, today we're going to continue that subject of what we do because of general revelation through creation of the world. 
And how we react to that is vitally important. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that you would speak to us through your word, that your word, Father, would verify all that's true about the specific revelation, the special revelation, Father, you give to us so we can understand the general revelation that we have through the creation of the world. We thank you, Father, that through the creation of the world, you showed your power. Thank you, Father, that you showed your goodness and kindness to us. And therefore, Father, all you want from us is to glorify you and give you thanks. But Father, we don't do that. We rebel. We become darkened in our understanding, in our actions. We are futile in our reasoning. We come up with silly ideas about God. But Father, you want us to understand you. Therefore, you gave us the best possible revelation. That's through your son, Jesus Christ. He came to this earth, lived a life perfectly under the law, took upon himself the sins of the world, died, and rose again. We thank you, Father, for the work of Jesus Christ in leaving us the information that we need to know on how to respond perfectly in worship to you. We ask, Father, you would work this morning in our hearts and then this week, Father, in our actions. All glory goes to you, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many people have been on a seesaw? Okay, thank you. Few of you haven't. I feel sad for you. But a seesaw is a lot of fun, especially if you weigh more than the other person. <laughs> because you shoot them up in the air. Uh, I, I counseled junior hires for several years, and we'd go to a camp uh, in the high Sierras, and one of the big things they had on the lake was this big pillow. And you sneak a junior hire out to the edge of the pillow, and then you jump from this tower onto the other edge of the pillow and see how high the junior hire would fly. Now, I would get asked to do this for like hours on end because I would jump onto the end of the pillow and it would throw up junior hires into a different atmosphere. Okay? <laughs> they liked it. A teeter-totter is somewhat like that. What you do is you put something on one end that's heavy, and the other end has something light. And it always is, the heavier thing will always go down. You have never been on a teeter-totter where the heavy thing went up and the light thing went down. It's impossible. This morning what we're going to talk about is the revelation you receive through the creation of the world. And how heavy that is. And with that reaction, you have an opposite reaction. The opposite reaction that you have as the lighter weight, putting all of the universe on one side of the teeter-totter, is to realize how great the Creator is. Therefore, the reaction you have as you fly high, as creation universe is put on the other side of the teeter-totter, you fly high, you have to be humble. You have to be 
humble. You cannot be proud when you have a proper realization of who the creator of the universe is. When you contemplate who the creator is, you have to be humble. Now, the problem is, is that sometimes we humans think of ourselves in a proud way and we try to put the heavy weight on our side of the teeter-totter. And really, no matter how much you struggle to do it, you can't. And to be high on the teeter-totter and say that you're the heavyweight is silly. Is silly. Absolutely makes no sense for you to claim to be the heavyweight in light of the universe. Creation, you. Creation, you. Now, reality is, creation outweighs you, you should be humble. But what happens sometimes is as we're up on the teeter-totter, we think in a prideful way that we somehow have control or power beyond the universe. That we have some kind of ability to control the universe. To have an opinion about the creator of the universe that somehow outweighs our teeter-totter and makes us the heavy thing instead of God being the heavy thing. Now we're going to look at a couple verses today. Hopefully we'll get through them, but we'll try to think how it is. By the way, Luke 18 says, I tell you, this man went into the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. There is always a reaction on the teeter-totter. Verse 22, Romans chapter 1, verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Here we have, again, connected to general revelation, the creation of the world. We have the natural response a sinner has to general revelation. How does he respond to general revelation, to creation, to looking at creation and talking about creation? The sinner does the same thing every time. He makes a wiser decision. Now, i got to explain this answer. It is wiser in his head. Not wiser in reality. Because in reality, the universe is heavier than the sinner. But in his head, he says, I want to decide something else about the universe. He tries to make a different decision about the universe. He tries to be proud and put himself in a place where he controls the universe. And he will say, even though he's up in the air... He will say, I am wiser than the creator of the universe. And he'll try to somehow, in his mind, think that the teeter-totter is down on his side. When in reality, he is up in the air. He professes to be wise. The Greek term means to affirm something. To claim to be something. 
He claims to be wise. He describes a claim using this term that's not reasonable and is untrue. He claims something that's not reasonable and is not true. Last week, we learned the failure of the human being to worship the Creator has affected his reasoning ability. It affects his reasoning ability. If he looks at creation and says there's no Creator, it affects his ability to make decisions. And in this verse, he says he makes a decision that he is wiser than the Creator. He is wiser than the Creator. And making that decision makes him to be more foolish. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. The way of death. The fact of the matter is, in this world that we live in, everything around us points to a God. Not only a God, but a powerful God. Not only a powerful God, but a good God. Through the providence of creation, we determine that He is a good God. The rain falls, the season comes, the sun comes up every morning. Everything's predictable because He's a good God. And we have an understanding of who the Creator is, and therefore we want to worship the Creator. We want to thank the Creator. All of this happens with God being the key. With God being the key. The center of everything. That holds everything up. Now, of course, in our culture today, what has happened? What has happened? They've taken God out of the culture. They've talked about other theories that they think is wise that explains creation. They have other theories about the providence of God. They have other theories about God. You've heard that one, haven't you? Oh, my God would never do that. Well, the God you've created probably wouldn't do that. God is the key to everything in creation. He claims to be wise. The claim to be wise about creation and the Creator. Rejoicing in the knowledge of God... Because of creation, people claim to be wiser than God, wiser than God's creation. What happens is, is by nature, we are to give by nature we are to give glory to God, but because of our sin, we don't. We become foolish. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. How does God respond to the sinner's foolishness? So we got general revelation. We got this created universe we're born into. We, we look at the universe. We look at how it's made. <clears throat> we say there must be a creator to this universe. This creator that created this has to be powerful. He has to be worthy of worship. He has to be <clears throat> loving, being kind to us, good to us, giving us air to breathe, food, growing food, everything He gives to us. But 
we raise up our pride, say we're more powerful than the Creator, we're wiser than the Creator, <laughs> we're more loving than the Creator, and sin against the Creator. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, are you there? Verse 21. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Stop there. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. How does God respond to the sinner's foolishness? He sees a bunch of sinners that do not claim Him or praise Him or worship Him as Creator. They don't see His goodness through creation. What does God do? How does God respond? First thing I want you to notice is that God gives special revelation about worship. Special revelation about worship. So, general revelation, there's no book, no instruction manual to it. But special revelation is what we get from the Word of God, the Bible. That's why the Bible is our middle name as a church. Come on, laugh a little on that one. Cumberland Bible Church. Okay? Bible's our middle name. Because through the Bible, we get special revelation. We get detailed information about this creation. We get detailed information about the God who created it. We get detailed information about His Son who came to die on a cross. We get detailed information about God the Holy Spirit who indwells us and empowers us to live this life in this creation. We get all the information we need to know about how the world began. We get all the information we need to know about how the world will end. We get everything in this special revelation. So, how does God respond to sinners being foolish? They're high up on the teeter-totter, and they claim they're the heavyweight. That's foolishness. How, do God, how does God respond to foolishness? He gives special revelation. I want you to notice first thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, the first thing that God gives to correct the thinking of a foolish sinner. Number one. God gives special knowledge. Special knowledge. Because this world's wisdom does not come to know God. Everything that a non-believer comes up with will not point them to God. Matter of fact, it will point them away from God. It will not give the proper information about who God is it will turn them the exact opposite way. The wisdom does not come to know God. Through the wisdom of the world, they do not come to know God. The wisdom of God, though, is available through the pages of Scripture, through special revelation. This knowledge, we can find out who God is. God's wisdom will lead to the knowledge of God. That's why when we want to tell somebody about God, we go to this book. We tell them about the God of this book. Because that is the God 
that limits human wisdom. This is the book that controls and points us to the right, proper wisdom that will give us the proper way of worshiping this Creator God. Left to Himself, a sinner cannot find God. That's why we have to share our faith with them. We have to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. We got to tell them about the God of the Word. We got to tell them about the Holy Spirit of the Word. We got to tell them everything so that they can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But first thing, God has to give us the knowledge. Creation will not give us all the knowledge we need to come to God. So he gives us special knowledge. Second, God was willing, the middle of the verse, did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believed. Preached to save those who believe. Second, God gives us special salvation. He gives us a special message about the gospel. He gives us a special word about how to be saved. Creation will not explain that to us. It will point us to a God who created it, a power who God created. It will point us to giving thanks to Him. But the special revelation we get through the Bible, God's wisdom, will point us to the gospel message. Point us to salvation. So the first thing that comes with God's wisdom is that your knowledge needs Knows you need to be saved. Knows that your sin will not please God. Knows that you will fall short of the glory of God. Knows that you fall short. Therefore, you need special salvation through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God's wisdom will lead you to salvation. Even human wisdom could not recognize the problem that it has. And even if it could, it doesn't have the power to save you. You need God's message, the gospel. The gospel with power. We talked about that before. How the power of God comes through the gospel. The good news. Third, verse 22. For in, indeed, Jew, Jews ask for signs and Greeks ask for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness. Jews need signs, Greeks need wisdom. And by the way, the answer to both of them is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, his resurrection was the sign the Jews need. Jesus Christ is wisdom for the Greeks. Third thing you need to understand this creator is you need to understand the special death that occurred, that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ died and rose again. Jesus Christ was the one crucified. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a number, and I haven't proven it, I haven't added it up, so I don't know this is positive, perfectly certain. But I heard... 323 prophecies in the Old Testament talked about the suffering of Jesus Christ. Now, if that's true, that's a good number, man. That's a lot. All pointing to the suffering of Jesus Christ. The death on the cross was not an accident. 
Not a mistake. It was planned by God. Wisdom shows you God's way of salvation. Wisdom shows you the death that pays the price for you to be saved. It is the gospel that's the wisdom of God. It's the gospel message, the death of Jesus Christ. How can God be just and loving? How can God forgive sins and punish sins? It's all because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He paid the way so that you could be saved. He points to the special death by which you will be saved. Fourth, verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Fourth, you need special power. You need special power. The God, we talked last week about how creation shows the power of God. That power He gives to us. That power He gives to us. And He comes to us because of the calling of God. God's wisdom is the power of God. The calling of God refers to God's work in your life so that you could be saved. God's calling is display of God's wisdom. Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is wisdom, all wisdom. Jesus Christ is all power. You place your trust in Jesus Christ. You understand wisdom and you understand power. And you get both through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Fifth. Fifth, verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. How does God respond to a sinner that's foolish? He gives them special revelation. Special revelation about what? Number five, he gives special revelation about special wisdom. Special wisdom. He gives you the wisdom that you need to be wise. He gives you wisdom to understand creation and how it's an example of the power of God. He gives you wisdom, how you can see things that happen that people might say are lucky, but see it as a province of God. You can see the spiritual attributes of the invisible God. You do it by having special wisdom. Wisdom that comes from God. Wisdom that's beyond human wisdom. Wisdom of God's beyond the wisdom of this world. If, if it was possible for God to do something foolish, if God was able to do something silly, that silliness would be far wiser than anything humans could come up with. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The knowledge of mankind is not great enough to know the most important thing they need, a relationship with God. Relationship with God. I read this story about uh, a, a businessman in Germany. He uh, was trying to set up a business in the United States, and he brought in a, one of his leaders, and he says, uh, I need you to go to San Francisco and put it start our business there. And he says, well, I can be ready in about 10 days. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll let you know. And he went up to another guy and says, said, said the same thing about going to San Francisco. And he says, well, I can be ready in three days. 
He went to another guy. And he says, same thing. How can... And the third man says, I'm ready at once. I'm ready at once. That was the guy, by the way, his name was uh, Julius May. He became one of the wealthiest people in San Francisco because he started the business because he was ready to go the moment the boss said, let's go. See, when you have the creator of the universe, the heaviest weight possible on the other side of your teeter-totter, you listen to him. And when he tells you something in his word, you do what his word says. You know, just like the old uh, parent to a child thing. <laughs> do what I say. If I told you to jump, you say how high, right? Amen. Am I the only one that said that? Okay, come on. That's the weight that comes from having a relationship with the creator of the universe. He is the heaviest weight. We listen to him. He tells us wisdom through his word. When we do what his word says, we're exactly right in the will of God, doing what he wants us to do. So that's five, wisdom. God's wisdom is beyond human wisdom. We have wisdom. Turn to Psalms 111, 111. Psalms 111. We still have some more answers here. So you got knowledge that comes. You got uh, salvation that comes. You got death that comes. You got power that comes. You have everything you need and wisdom that comes. And God gives you a couple more things to keep you from acting foolish. Psalm 111, verse 10. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Six, you have special fear. You have special fear. It gives you the proper understanding of who's on the other side of your teeter-totter. And you have a proper reverence, respect, fear of that person. Remember the junior hire? There was one junior hire in camp who was a little bitty twig. Okay? He must have weighed 55 pounds. I mean, he was small. You should have seen how far he went. Okay? When I jumped on that pillow. He flew. One time it looked like he was headed towards the trees. And I was nervous. Okay? You need to respect the other guy on your teeter-totter. You have to have a proper respect. Wisdom is living proper relationship with God while He does the work in our lives and through our lives. We have a proper fear, respect, reverence for Him and His work through us. The fear of the Lord will lead you to act like Jesus Christ, to live like Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. You having the fear of God will live like Jesus Christ. And if you live like Jesus Christ, your teeter-totter will be the happiest place on earth. Because you'll be exactly right where you need to be, doing exactly what you need to be doing. Middle of verse 10. 
Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding, have all those who do his commandments. A good understanding, have all those who do his commandments. Seventh, what gives special revelation about worship? What, how does God give special revelation about worship? Number seven, special understanding. Special understanding. Not only will you have wisdom, not only will you have a proper respect for the other guy on the teeter-totter, but you will have a proper understanding of why good things happen in your life, why bad things happen in your life, why this thing didn't happen the way you thought it would, why this plan didn't work the way you did. I had a friend in uh, high school. He had a plan of going to medical school and then on becoming a doctor. And he, he wanted to go to the best school. He applied to the best school and his senior year was the worst because he got rejected. He didn't get accepted. He had a plan that he wanted to work out in his life. And God said no. Sometimes God says no for a better plan. Sometimes God does things in your life to make you a better, stronger believer. Sometimes he does things to make your faith grow. And with the understanding of God you understand what he's doing. So therefore, instead of shaking your fist at God, you're saying, praise God. So understanding, a good understanding of those who obey, fear leads to understanding. How you see the words of God apply to your week, how the words tell you what to do, how your words work. The precepts of God are God's roadmap for your week to do what God wants you to do. God's words apply to your daily lives, and you understand why he gives you commands. If there's a command in the Bible, think about a command. Whatever command you're thinking about probably goes with the, your favorite sin. Whatever you're thinking about right now. And whatever that sin is, you have an option this week to do or not to do. You have power to overcome it. God gives you understanding so you know how to obey the command. When you obey the command, you are doing what God wants you to do. And you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Understanding. Eight, here we go. Full circle. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding. Have all those who do His commands. If you understand God, you'll do His commands. Even the hard ones, you'll do His commands. His praise endures forever. We come back to the beginning again. God gives you special revelation about worship, and He gives you special worship. Special worship. If you fear God, it leads to eternal praise. You will praise God. You won't complain. You won't shake your fist. You'll say, praise God. Praise God. You pay attention to this week, the acts of God, the words of God. You'll have obedience to the commands of God. And therefore, you will live a life this week of praising God. You'll praise God. You'll praise God. Now, I won't, don't raise your hand. I know how I like to have you raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But... If this is the first day since last Sunday that you praise God, something's wrong. 
Don't raise your hand if you haven't praised God since last Sunday. I don't want to know. But you need to know. What happens to a believer who has understanding, does his commands, has proper reverence, fear of God, you will understand who's on the other side of your teeter-totter, and you will praise him. Remember last week? The problem with sinners is that they won't thank God. The believer should thank God every single day because they understand God's working in their lives every day. He is working the teeter-totter to your benefit. He is working creation to your benefit. He is working special revelation for your benefit. And you should be praising God continually, each and every day. Here you go. This is good. Uh, A number of years ago, a pastor married a young couple. They went on their honeymoon, and they came back to church uh, as they got back from their honeymoon. And the pastor saw them in church, greeted them, and was uh, talking to the the bride. And the pastor asked the bride if she had burned the the roast for their first dinner. Because he knew they were going to have roast when they got back home. I like this pastor. He asked, he asked if she burned the roast. She said, oh, I was afraid I was going to do it. I'd read so, so much about, about uh, brides being unable to cook, and I decided that John was going to have the very best meal a bride could prepare for her husband. So I began cooking about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I got everything out, started work, and then I finally put things to, on to cook. I was afraid that they wouldn't turn out. And of course, he had to be a little late coming home. And I was afraid things would be spoiled. And I interrupted her, the pastor said. He said, you, you said three times you were afraid. Did you think he was going to beat you or something if you burned the roast? She said, no, of course not. She looked at the pastor and said, with all the love in her heart and her eyes, but her fear for him was not fright. Her fear was a great desire to serve the one whom she had given herself entirely to. That's the fear of the Lord. It is the person you've given yourself totally to. By the way, when you're on a teeter-totter, you're not holding on to anything. Except for the other end of the teeter-totter. If you trust Him completely, you'll have a proper respect and fear to obey Him, to understand Him, to praise Him. And all the other eight things we said, knowledge, all the things God gives you, is so that you will have a proper understanding of who the creator of the universe is. And he gives you the word of God so you'll know. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, in case you forgot, or you thought I forgot, what verses we're in. Romans chapter 1, verse 22. Now, those things that God gives you through special revelation, those eight things give, God gives to you for trusting Jesus Christ, those eight things are incredible, and we could spend eight Sundays talking about those eight things. But 
We don't have time. But if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I need to be honest with you and tell you the other side of the teeter-totter that you're on. Verse 22, the end of the verse. They became fools. They became fools. How does the wrath of God show itself to those sinners who think they are wiser than the Creator? If you think you're wiser than the Creator, that you think you're the heavyweight in this world, that you think you're the one that controls things in this world, those things that you do will cause God to react a certain way. Number one, sinners become more and more and more and more and more and more foolish. If you try to live your life fighting against the Creator, you will start doing more and more foolish things. Foolish. Silly. Trying to do away with God and the love of God. You will try to do away with God and you will love unrighteousness. Literally means, the Greek word means, I'm sorry to offend you, stupid. That's what the Greek word means. Stupid. On one hand, you have divine revelation. On the other hand, you have the sin of a sinner that's trying to reach out for something other than the Creator. You remember Aaron, Moses' brother? Moses went up to Mount Sinai and left his brother down there, and the people wanted something to worship. This is what Aaron said he did. The people gave the gold to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out of it came this golden calf. How foolish is that? When sinners try to do things on their own, without God, without the Creator, you do foolish things. Their foolishness consists of abandoning the true God for something else. They become really foolish in their opinions and conducts. Their darkened minds are, their hearts are darkened. Their conduct's messed up. Their reasoning is not correct. Their speculation and doctrines are senseless. They fail to worship God. They fail to glorify God. They fail to give Him thanks. They do everything that's foolish. Verse 23. And they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God. They change the glory of the incorruptible God. How does the wrath of God show itself to these sinners who think they are wiser than the Creator? Sinners become, number two, number two. Sinners become more and more ignorant. More and more ignorant. They exchange the glory of the incorruptible incorruptible God for something that's corruptible. They exchange. By the way, the word exchange there will be key for the rest of the chapter. It'll come up over and over again. To exchange one exists outside of creation for, for, for something caught up in, crea- in creation. 
<clears throat> you exchange the God who's outside of creation for something inside creation that's corruptible. You take away the most valuable thing for the cheap thing. Every person under the God's wrath has changed the worship of the Creator to worship something else. Folly. You take the glory that is the quality of God that sets them apart from everything else, and you give that glory to something else that doesn't deserve it, that's, it, that's corruptible. God's glory, as we would expect, is associated with His revelation and His activity. In the context here, His glory is associated with creation. Creation. He is the incorruptible God. He is imperishable in his being and attributes. He's unchangeable. He's indestructible. He's immortal. He's immutable. God will always be true to his attributes and promises. Incorruptible is the essence of our reason we worship him. Third, and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man of a birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Sinners become more and more and more and more confused. And they worship an image in the form of corruptible man. An image the exact light, likeness of something, it's like a picture of a flower. Looks like a flower. But it's a copy of a flower. You exchange something real, the glory of God, for something of no value, an image. You change what you worship. You exchange a copy of a copy of birds that fly high in the air, close to God, that grow old and die. The hawk was worshipped in Egypt. The eagle was worshipped in Rome. Or you pick a four-footed animal that's just a little bit above the ground, further from God, that will grow old and die. Like the Egyptians had an ox, and the Israelites in the desert had a golden calf. Or you pick a crawling creature, something furthest from God, <laughs> on the ground crawling on its belly, that'll grow old and die one day. There was a Christian group at this time in Egypt that worshipped snakes. Why would you worship something that's corruptible when you have the perfect creator to worship? That makes no sense. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 4. In the middle of the Ten Commandments, notice what it says about idol worship. Verse 4. Everybody there? Exodus. It's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus. Get to Genesis. Go right. Here you go. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourselves an idol. Don't do it. Or any likeness of that which is in heaven. Do not pick anything from heaven and make it an idol. 
above or earth beneath. Don't pick anything here on earth that's been created by an incorruptible God and worship it. Or in the water below the earth. Don't pick anything in the water, nothing in the air, nothing at all to make an idol that is worthy of your worship. Here you go. What's an idol? An idol is anything you fix your desire upon other than God. Anything you fix your desires upon other than God. Okay, since I'm up front, I'll pick on me. What can easily become my idol? Come on now. Golf. Every Monday I go play golf. When I have a bad day on Thursday, what do I think about? Golf. If I can't go to sleep on Friday night, what do I think about to help me go to sleep? Every shot I took on Monday, I think about. Okay, what could become my idol? It could become my idol when I focus my worship on golf rather than God. Now, golf is a perfectly lovely game and is actually perfectly perfected for challenging competitive people. But it can become an idol. And let's not pick on me, let's pick on you now. What you love could become an idol. When you focus your desires on that more than you focus your desires on God. Whatever that is, be careful, believer. Be careful. All created people are designed to worship something. Every person on this planet was designed to worship something. And every person on this planet does worship something. Jewish people considered idolatry the climax of human evil. Worship of anything other than God is not to happen. To exalt something in my life more important than God is wrong. All idolatry or worship really is worship of myself. And that's wrong. To exalt something in my life that's more important than God. You cannot have your idols and have God. You cannot grip two idols. Idols represent false ideas about God and reflect doctrines of false teachers. Outside the church, this world worships idols on every level. Matter of fact, they try to get more idols worshipped by you. Don't believe me? Look at a commercial. They want you to worship their idols. Inside the church, these idols are fake concepts about God, which are taught by false teachers. You've got to be careful. Non-believers do not have fellowship with what they call God because they don't have a God that exists. Now, don't look at your neighbor. Let's go through a list real quick. In my life... As a pastor, I've seen a lot of believers who claim to be believers, and I'm not sure they're believers because they loved other gods. Let me list some of them. They loved 
false religion. They loved their job. They loved fame. They loved cars. They loved their RV. They loved their boat. They loved pleasure. They loved sex outside of marriage. They loved their spouses more than they loved God. They loved their kids more than they loved God. They loved their pets more than they loved God. They loved gossip more than they loved God. They loved slander more than they loved God. They loved retirement more than they loved God. They loved success more than they loved God. They loved their houses more than they loved God. They loved their 401ks more than they loved God. They loved their money more than they loved God. Practical application. Will I share with my non-believing friends the special revelation about Jesus Christ so that they do not continue their foolish, ignorant, and confused way of life? I have the answers. It's found in God's Word. I share it with them so that they don't have to continue living without the special revelation of Jesus Christ so that they can stop being foolish, ignorant, and confused. A lot of your non-believing friends are going around confused. The only reason is because they don't know Jesus Christ. When they know Jesus Christ, when they know God, it puts everything in proper motion where it's supposed to be. The world refuses to acknowledge the glory of God, and it leads them down a path. The first step, sinners fail to reason correctly. We talked about that last week. Second, sinners fail to act correctly. We talked about that last week. This week, sinners fail to worship correctly. And that's what happens this week. Last week, reasoning, acting. Today, worship. Your worship has to be truly towards God and God alone. Worship God. A church father said, he wrote down his prayer, he says, Most gracious God, may I never hold such a high opinion of my own spiritual health as to prevent me from being full of your grace and fear. That's pretty good. Our prayer is not to be full of ourselves but to be full of God's grace and fear. How are you doing? What idol needs to be cut out of your life this week? Go, go cold turkey. Cut it out. Worship one God, the God of the Bible, the Father of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this time. I pray, Father, that you would help each one of us as we battle to have proper worship in our lives. I pray, Father, for the non-believers that may be in this room, that you would correct their worship, Father, of you, to give you glory and to give you thanks. I pray, Father, for the non-believers we come in contact with this week. I pray that we would help them 
to have further information beyond just creation and help them, Father, to have the special word comes from you that tells us about having proper worship. And I pray, Father, that they would come to a place in their lives where they repent of their sins and place their trust in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would work in our non-believing friends this week so they can get away from an ignorant, confused life and come to know Jesus Christ. Pray, Father, you would be with each one as we go down this road of life. Thank you, Father, for creation. Thank you, Father, for the power you show. Thank you, Father, for the word you give us. Pray, Father, we would worship you each and every step we take this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.